I've chosen to uh, share a message this morning, not on the regular gospel lesson that, from the lectionary that we use, but as I was looking uh, late last week and into this week and, and praying about what to preach on, the gospel lesson from the common lectionary is, is one that really stuck out to me, and so that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to preach on. Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and all are brothers. And do not carry or call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is your word, Heavenly Father. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in that truth. Amen. The NIV that I read from this morning gives titles to chapters and paragraphs in, in the Bible. And the title given to our text this morning is Seven Woes. And yet he doesn't begin those woes until after the passage that we're looking at this morning. But there are seven woes in the 23rd chapter beginning uh, on, on verse, or in verse 13 and extending through verse 29. You'll find seven of them. I hope you'll look for them and, and think about them even this afternoon. I, I think the verses of our text comprise Jesus' uh, introductory remarks, his, in, his uh, beginning interpretation, if you will, uh, before going into the woes. And, and what Jesus tells us in the text today is meant to warn us just as he meant to warn his hearers of the dangers of spiritual hypocrisy. And it was meant, I think, even to change the opinions of the laity, if you will, of his hearers about the Pharisees in that day. And friends, we need to also be on guard. He teaches us what true greatness is in this text. Now the word Pharisee literally means separated one. There were four main sects in Judaism in Jesus' day. The Essenes who practiced a separation from society, kind of like the monks in the Middle Ages who disassociated from society and chose to live as hermits in private Colonies, and they had very little practical effect on the Jewish nation or people. Secondly, there was the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were basically a political party. 
They didn't really care so much about your religious beliefs, your spiritual life. They were concerned you would be with them against the Romans. The Sadducees, well, they were the liberal Jews in Judaism. They only accepted the first five books of of the Bible. Um, they, They denied the existence of angels. They denied life after death. And so, even though they held the office of high priest more than any any other party, they really were only in it for the power available to them. The Pharisees were highly regarded by the masses. They they only numbered around 6,000 members. That surprised me to find that out. Only 6,000 Pharisees, and yet they really had an influence on Jewish society. They... Uh, they practiced a stringent piety. They took the scriptures seriously, at least as they misguidedly understood them. But their piety was really practiced only for show. And their commitment to the scriptures was conditionally based upon their own peculiar exegesis. This past week, I think it was on Wednesday, I was driving home. And I heard a song that I hadn't heard for who knows how many years. Anybody here remember Mac Davis? I was listening to a country station. I'll admit that now. I'll never say it again. Do you remember his song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way? I could sing you a couple verses. No, I I started to chuckle because I hadn't heard that song in, in, in many years. But I also began to think about the Pharisees while the song was still, was still being uh, played on the radio. And, and I, I wondered if some of them, maybe a good number of them, would have considered Mac's song to be biographical of them. Because they really thought highly of themselves. In fact, way too highly of themselves. One day, a Texas cattle rancher met a Vermont dairy farmer, and the two men began comparing their operations. And uh, the, the dairy farmer told the Texas cattle baron that he operated his business on only 125 acres. And the Texan started to laugh. He just scoffed at such a small parcel of land. He said, Yankee, that ain't nothing. On my ranch, I can get in my truck at sunrise. I can drive all day long and not reach the opposite boundary of my land until sunset. To which the dairy farmer replied, yeah, I used to have a truck like that too. (laughs) Kind of put him in his place. (laughs) Jesus' words in our text are in a sense like those of the dairy farmer meant to challenge the undue pride and the self-satisfaction of the Pharisees, and even to turn public opinion against them. Now the Pharisees, as a sect, disappeared after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But that doesn't make the words of Jesus irrelevant for our day at all, because the spirit of Phariseeism lives on. Arrogance 
and self-satisfaction are practiced by many, even many who claim to be Christian. And there's a real danger that any of us could succumb to such misguided and, and dangerous thinking. I guess they forgot about what Micah said in Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your Lord. Jesus says in our text, the greatest among you will be your servant. And in verse 12 he says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So when you think this morning about true greatness, be aware in this text that Jesus really points out three crucial truths. First of all, he declares that true greatness is not, not capital N, capital O, capital T. It is not about power. John C. Maxwell, a well-known conference speaker on the topic of leadership, has rightly observed. He says, true leadership must be for the benefit of the followers, not to enrich the leader. True leadership must be for the benefit of the followers, not to enrich the leader. But Pharisees and all who share in their misguided values don't see that. As Jesus claimed, they want to sit in Moses' seat. That's the seat of power, the seat of authority. They want to be able to tell you what to do, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, Jesus says. But then he counters with do not do what they do. They loved to be in those places. Since they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. No, true greatness is not about power. It's not about being able to tell someone else what they should do when they should do it, and how they should do it. That's not true greatness. It's not using influence to enrich yourself or, or, or to have people look up at you as though you're God's gift to humanity. No, true greatness is not about power. True greatness is about humble submission to the Word of God and about serving others in Jesus' name. It's not about power. Also, it's not about image. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide. That's the little box that they would tie around their heads. And it was hollow. And and inside it, they would put scrolls of different Bible verses. It was the whole thing about meditating day and night on the Word of God. It was was stupid. (laughs) It was showy. They cheapened the words of Jesus to dwell on the Word of God by putting it in a box and showing it off. But it's not about image. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But what good is a rabbi who doesn't teach the truth? What good is a rabbi who won't practice it. 
And in our day, maybe we don't use the word rabbi in Gentile circles like they still do among the Jewish people. But you know what the the word simply means? Teacher. Why do we... Why do we show deference to others? Canon cameras used to sell their product with uh, Jimmy Connors. You remember him, a tennis great? He'd come on the screen and he'd say, it's all about image. Now that may be true for a camera. Okay? I don't want a camera that doesn't give a nice clear image. I want good color and, well, I'm mostly colorblind, so I probably can't understand it or appreciate it anyhow. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's all about image for a camera, for photography. That's one thing. But friends, it's not true about life. It is not true for humans. It's not true, especially for those who name the name of Jesus and call themselves His. Is your image the same both publicly and privately? Are you the same person wherever you are or however many people are around you or not around you? How would you answer that? A woman got into an elevator in a posh hotel one day. Only one other individual was riding the elevator with her. She stared at this handsome man for a few seconds and finally she just was compelled to ask. She said, sir, are you Robert Redford? And the man replied, only when I'm alone. He had to put on an image for the public. It was only himself when he was alone. Well, you know what? Spiritually, if all we do and call it faith, is to portray some image to others, but we really don't have it in our hearts, it's no good. It's no good. And I think for many of us, maybe most of us, the, act, the, the opposite is, is exactly the, the truth. Who, who are you when no one but God sees you? Who are you then? Nobody around. Just you. But you're never alone. God watches. He sees. He knows. He understands. Who are you when no one but God sees you? The Apostle Paul would encourage us and motivate us to something entirely different. He writes... In in Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1, if there is therefore any encouragement in Christ. And by the way, the word if here could be translated since. Paul isn't doubtful or wondering if there are these blessings. He's saying there are these blessings. Since therefore there is encouragement in Christ. If there's any consolation of love, and there is. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do we have that in this congregation? People who are united in spirit, serving each other out of love for Jesus, 
doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. He says, don't do it from that. He said, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. It doesn't mean we put ourselves down. It does not mean, humility does not mean that we think less of ourselves. Jesus died and rose for us. He gives us new life. He loves us that much. We count for way more than any of us probably will ever realize, at least on this side of eternity. But as important as we are in God's eyes, we are to have the attitude that our brother and sister is even more important than we are. You see that? I'm to put others in front of me. And the thing is, it works. It works if we do this. Because if I put you before me, and you put me before you, we get our needs met. We experience the love of Jesus in a way and at a, at a depth that we don't otherwise experience. Do you see that? There's so much positive reason to recognize that it's not about power and it's not about image. He goes on and he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even even death on a cross. It's not about power. It's not about him. So what is it about? It's about service. It's about service. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Who's the most influential person in the history of planet Earth? It is such a simple answer and it is absolutely true. Nobody comes close to the influence of Jesus Christ in the history of the world. I want you to think about that. (laughs) Within a generation of his resurrection and ascension to heaven, there were people and they were complaining about Christians, but the influence they had They said, these men have upset the world. Literally, they've turned the world upside down with their teaching. They didn't mean it as a positive thing. But just think about the influence of Jesus. His people, so convinced of who he is, so committed to sharing the message of the gospel with others, that the world was being turned upside down. Do we impact our society in such a way? Do you impact those with whom you have daily, weekly contact? Do I? Within seven generations of his resurrection and ascension, the Roman Emperor Constantine was converted to Christianity, and he went on to declare Christianity the official religion of Rome. 
That wasn't all good, by the way, but it, it, again, it shows the impact, the influence of Jesus. Jesus is easily the most influential leader of all time. No matter what you believe about him, it is still true that he is the most influential person in the history of the world. And it's amazing to see that nearly 2,000 years after he lived, the message he commissioned his followers to proclaim is still profoundly impacting the world today. Jesus had a three and a half year public ministry. He didn't write any books. He didn't compose any songs. He died publicly in shame on a Roman cross, apparently defeated forever. But you know the rest of the story. And we need to get that story out to the world. He rose again a couple of days later. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and Satan himself. And he lives forever. And he continues to give life and hope and faith and, and, and the gift of eternal life to soul after soul. And he can work through you and me to touch the lives of others around us. For Jesus, it was about servant. He had every right to tell people what to do and how to do it and when to do it, but he didn't. He served. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, for us it's also all about service. He called a crowd to him and along with his disciples and he said to them, and this is from Mark 8:34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And furthermore, he declared in Luke 14:27, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I want to challenge you to something today. I want you to challenge I want to challenge you to go home and open up Matthew chapter 23 one more time and I want you to read the woes of Jesus, his warnings against the Pharisees. And I want you to ask him, am I like them? Do I have such an attitude? As you see, everything about Christianity is just the opposite of what the world thinks. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's about dying to self. It's about following Jesus. It's about service. He also said in John 12:24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You'll never get that teaching anywhere else in the world. Or how about the Beatitudes of Jesus? Blessed are the poor in spirit, who realize their own spiritual emptiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. It's a gift. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Think of that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when men cast insults upon you or at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Why? Because he will bless us. And he'll bless us abundantly. He'll bless us beyond our ability to even fully comprehend. And that's his promise to each and every one who would follow him. See, it's not about power, my friends. It's not about image. It's about humbly following in the footsteps of Jesus, the greatest servant ever. It's about dying to self and living in him and for him. It's about the blessedness of life in his name, a life lived according to his teachings, a life devoted to serving others. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us today. Thank you that you would call us to follow in your footsteps. Thank you that true leadership is not seen in bossing people around or or trying to impress people that we have some special gifts or abilities. Thank you that it's found in serving you and serving others. Help us, Lord, to true greatness. Because that kind of greatness, we won't, even, we won't even concern ourselves with ourselves. We'll only be concerned about others. Bless us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.